This uh, message uh, was, uh, was a lot of fun to put together and, and thinking about moms and the incredible women in my life and uh, in all of our lives. And so I titled this message, Wonder Women, not Wonder Woman, Wonder Women. And I was thinking about all of the incredible women who have been a part of my life personally and, and then thinking about all the incredible women who have been a part of the story of scriptures. And, and I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about Wonder Woman who is uh, kind of like the, the champion woman superhero, but I was thinking that it really is something more than just what we think of when we think of Wonder Woman. And I was thinking about the, even the word wonder, how it's a verb, and it, and it means something. It means either to think or speculate curiously, which is not what I was going for, but it means to be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe, to marvel. And I just thought, that does describe how I feel about so many of the women in my life, filled with admiration, amazement, or awe, to marvel at them and how much they do and how important they have been in my life. You know, I was, I was raised by a uh, single mom in some regards, um, but I was really raised by a grandma. And uh, she used to joke all the time that she raised me till I was nine and then my mom kidnapped me. And that was the running joke in the family that I was hers and that my mom stole me when, uh, when I turned nine and, and my mom married my stepdad and we moved out of the house. But, uh, but I was raised by some very powerful, uh, iconic women in, in my life who poured into me a sense of identity and wholeness that was beyond even probably what they experienced in their own life. They, they confidently in faith spoke truths into my life that were even greater than some that they had personally experienced believing that in me. I was raised by a village, and I know some of us know that experience. I was raised by an army of cousins and aunts and uncles, and and, uh, but I had a grandmother who would shoot me straight. And if I would not go straight, she would take off her shoe. <laughs> and she had the worst aim, but she never missed. That's what was so frustrating. Like, I don't know if she was aiming for right between my shoulder blades, but she would swing that shoe. Come on now, church. <laughs> she would fire it across the room and always like, you know, I'm like, grandma, ah, but she would nail me. When I got out of line, she demonstrated her love in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I was raised by strong women who were confident that it could be a, a combination. There's so much wonder. There were a combination of strength and kindness and compassion and authority all put together in a healthy way, demonstrated how to love. How to, I learned how to be a man from, from my aunt. My aunt would tell me, hey, open the door, mijo. I'm like, what? Well, open the door. Yes. Because you, you have to learn to be kind to others and to think of others before yourself and to demonstrate that even though you're strong and rambunctious, that you can demonstrate kindness and compassion and thoughtfulness to other people. I learned that from my aunt. And when I missed, she did not miss. <laughs> I don't want you to think I was uh, like, like totally beat up all the time, but they kept me in line. And they loved me and they demonstrated for me how to, how to be a man. I learned that so much from these women in my life. What a wonderful group of women I was blessed with that God used to shape and mold and care for me. I unabashedly identify as a mama's boy, having a Puerto Rican mom who certainly lets me know what's up when I need to know what's up, and then is always there in kindness and compassion. I'm a very blessed for the women that have been in my life. And I wonder how blessed you've been by women in your life. Maybe 
immediate family, maybe moms, maybe others that have come around you, maybe family members, maybe friends, maybe teachers. We've been blessed by the incredible presence of amazing women in our lives. And so when it gets to Mother's Day, I, I know mother means a different things to different people depending on your background and backdrop and, and, and who kind of has filled that void in your heart and in your life. And maybe you're filling that void in the heart and life of someone else, but I am just so incredibly grateful. And the kingdom of God is grateful for women who step in and love and demonstrate strength and compassion and authority and power and kindness. Women have a great origin story in the scriptures. If you uh, want to read with me, I won't spend too much time here, but I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 2, and then I'm going to get to 1 Samuel 1. But in Genesis chapter 2, we meet women for the first time in all of creation. And the Lord says, uh, uh, the Lord God said, he goes, it's just not good for a man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for him. I'm going to make a match for him in every way. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds, and all the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed that place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, whoa, man. No, <laughs> the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of a man. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. What a great origin story as we see the heart of God to create partnership and relationship on earth and to create healthy uh, connection and true authentic relationship. So many great moments in the scripture and great stories in the scripture begin with a woman. If you think about the Exodus, it begins with a woman, Moses's mom, in a moment of combination of desperation and faith drops this baby in a basket into the Nile, believing in faith that God, who's in, in control, will do something. We have none of that story without her faith. King David's line starts with a woman named Ruth. And we meet her in the scriptures. Jesus is introduced to us through the story of a young woman visited by God named Mary. And so we recognize that time and time again throughout the scriptures, that the great stories of the scriptures inextricably connected to the heart and lives and faith of women who are a part of the connective tissue everywhere we see throughout the scriptures. So many great moments. So today I want to talk about one great moment and one great person in particular, and her name is Hannah. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump to First uh, Samuel chapter 1. Her story continues in chapter two a little bit, but we're going to focus on chapter one. And, and I, just, I just was calling her heroic Hannah, Hannah because I was thinking about uh, Wonder Woman. I was in kind of a theme like that, but I was thinking about how heroic she is in this story. And so I want to talk just about four elements that were heroic in her life and, uh, and kind of unpack that with you as we just walk through the story of her experience this morning. And, and like every great hero, she has a backstory 
She has a context. She has a world that she's being born into and a life that she's experiencing. So we're going to unpack some of those things. But what I want you to know is that her story starts with pain. And the first element of her heroic journey is her pain. And I was thinking about this. Every life experiences pain. If you think about any of the Bible characters, it's easy to kind of put them on a pedestal for the life they experienced and where things ended. But you show me in this scripture some person who went through their journey in life and did not experience some pain. Every single one of them had tremendous pain as part of their journey. And here's what I want you to catch. Pain is often, if not always, part of the preparation. Pain is often, if not always, part of the preparation. Here's how I know this. On Tuesday, for the first time in a long time, I drug my sorry rear end to the gym. And I overdid it. Because my memory of what I should be able to do and my physical ability of what I can do don't match up. I actually missed a devotional group on Wednesday because I thought I was sick. I was not sick. I was sore. I thought I might be getting the flu, but I couldn't because I couldn't move. I felt awful because I put myself in pain by going back to the gym and working out for the first time. But here's what I know. Without that pain, come on now, that's the preparation to bring strength so that the things I need to be able to do, come on now, church, you know this. Pain is almost always part of the preparation. There's always a piece of, of, of the journey that involves pain that causes growth. If you tell me your story and you haven't experienced much pain, I'm just going to be honest with you. I probably don't trust you with too much responsibility. Pain strengthens us and sharpens us and, and, and coaches us. It helps us to, to build up the resistance and the muscles and the things that we need in order to grow. Yet when we get into the midst of pain, sometimes we get frustrated and we get anxious and we wonder, God, how could you allow this to happen? And we don't recognize that oftentimes God allows the pain that comes through our life as part of, come on now, the preparation. And those that have faced sometimes the greatest pain are able because they've been prepared to experience some of the greatest strength. Some of your greatest strength is a direct result to the pain that you went through. And Hannah, when we introduce her in the story, is going through some pain. She's looking for strength, but that strength is almost always found on the other side of resistance, and she's walking through resistance. And so this is her story, 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, there was a certain man, there's going to be some names in here, I'm just going to butcher them. So let's just roll with it. There was a certain man from Ramathame. He was a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And he was the son of Joraham, and he, who was the son of Elihu, who was the son of Tohu, who was the son of Zuth, who was an Ephraimite. I have no idea if any of that was right. I'm just going with it. I'm just going with it. You go with it. We'll get there. Here's what's important. He had two wives. Look at someone and say, two wives. All right. One was called Hannah, and the other one was Penaniah. Someone say it. How would you say it? Panina. I See, I was saying Panina, but then I kept saying Panini in my head, and the sermon just went off the rails. But I'm going to try Panina. Panina? All right, we're going to go with Panina. Hannah and Panina. Bam, there it is. Now listen, Panina had children, but Hannah 
had none. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. You got to get some cultural context here. At this time, if you were married to a woman and you had no children, after trying to have children with her, you could legally, uh, by the kind of the law of Moses at that time, you could put her out, divorce her, and kind of be rid of her because uh, you were unable to have children with her, and then you could take a new wife. If you did not want to do that, then you could take a second wife. That was kind of the cultural context of what's happening here. So the fact that he has two wives tells us, and Hannah is, has no children, that Hannah was the first wife, the, the initial wife, and that they were unable to have children. So he added a second wife to his family. The second wife did have children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were the priests of the Lord. So year after year, they go up to celebrate sacrifice. They dedicate the babies. They come as a family. They pray. They celebrate. They worship. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters, all of them. But to Hannah, listen to this, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. She's in his heart. She's loved, but she's heartbroken. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, listen to this, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Her pain. Her pain. There's always a voice, isn't there? That seems to know the exact thing to say right into your pain. Who seems to know the exact place to put a finger and to, to push on and, and, and who's just callously commenting on your pain. There's so many examples I want to give, but I'm afraid any example I give, someone will connect too closely. But there's always someone who walks up. You just lost your job. How, heard you lost your job. How's that, how's that going? It's like, yeah, it's going great. Thanks for, thanks for ripping that open, and we don't even have a close relationship, and you're just going to walk right, right? I mean, there's just always someone. And here's someone who's sharing in the most intimate bonds of family, who instead of coming alongside and being a support, has created a relationship that created a rivalry. Imagine being in a family where a rivalry like that exists, and the pain. This went on year after year. This wasn't a short amount of pain. This is year after year. It says, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. She's receiving a double portion of blessing from her husband who's trying to be kind to her, giving her additional food and resources and saying, I love you and I care for you. But at the same time, there's another voice saying, look what you don't have. Look how ripped off you are. Look how, look how even though your heart desires something, it hasn't worked out that way for you. And it's breaking her to weeping and fasting. Her husband, Elkanah, would say, this poor guy, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Guys, I know we try. We try. We really do try. But we can be so oblivious. We can be so, this is one of the most oblivious statements in the scripture. 
Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Your heart is broken because there's a desire and a passion for your life and your dreams. But don't worry about all that. You got me, babe. You got me. You should be counting them blessings. Come on, bro. Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? That might be my favorite oblivious guy comment, maybe in the whole scriptures. Verse nine, now, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest who was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord, uh, he was sitting on the doorpost of the Lord's house. So we get a picture of, Hannah, and we see a little bit of her story. She's in a loving marriage, but a brokenhearted situation. She's walking through pain, struggle, and the answer to her pain and struggle doesn't seem to be anywhere available to her. She's wrestling with that, and her response is amazing. Her response uh, to her pain is her prayer. Her response to her pain is her prayer. Verse 10 says, in her deep anguish, Oh, so good. Hannah prayed to the Lord. She was weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She essentially promises a Nazarite vow over him, a dedicated to the Lord vow. And I love this prayer because this prayer demonstrates her priorities. It demonstrates her priorities. She has something in her heart that she desires, but she doesn't want it just for her. She doesn't want to have a selfish lane in here. She says, this is the thing I desire, but I desire it so that it could be a blessing in the kingdom of God. And I wonder what our prayers say about our priorities. I wonder what our prayers say about our priorities. I wonder if our prayers are always framed in a context that's just about what, what, what our plan is. Are we praying in the midst of our pain for still God's plan? Her prayer reveals her priorities that in the midst of all that, she still wants God's plan. She has a plan, but she asked God, what about your plan? Jesus modeled this when he prayed. Here's what I feel, but here's what I'm committed to. What is the will? Not my will, but your will be done. And she prays this incredible prayer that demonstrates again all of her priority. Verse 12 says she kept on praying to the Lord. Maybe someone just needed to hear you. Get time. Just keep on praying. You're in a season of pain and God's like, Feels like he's distant. Feels like you're not getting the answers you're looking for. Feels like there's confusion. Fear's creeping in. Frustration's creeping in. She's weeping bitterly. It's okay to feel however you feel. Keep on praying. Feel however you feel and keep on praying. And start to pray, not just for your own priorities, but for kingdom priorities. And watch the hand of God move. So that she kept on praying, Eli observed her mouth, which is bizarre, but it says Hannah was praying in her heart. Oh, there you go. And her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. (laughs) She's weeping. She's crying out to God, but she's not even speaking the words. I wonder if she's worried that her rival might hear, who's already been critical and criticizing her. So she's praying, 
she's letting her heart cry out before God. Her lips are moving, no words are coming out. And Eli's like, this drunk woman. What is she doing here? Stop, put away your wine. Just be real, guys. Someone's always judging. Don't worry about it. In your prayer and in your, in your pain as you're walking through it, don't worry about someone else's perception. Don't worry about what you look like. Don't worry about what they see. You're not putting on airs trying to impress anybody but your heavenly father and be authentic and real to who you are. And if it's messy when you pray, it's messy when you pray. It's okay. You don't have to have your stuff put together and be, come on now, some picture of what everyone thinks you should be. You can just be authentic and real and honest before God. And if someone goes, man, that's a crazy person, go, yeah, well, I'm crazy because I love my Jesus and I need him to help. <laughs> so Hannah's like, uh, 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 not so, my Lord. <laughs> Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled and I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Stop judging me. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She goes to the place where she worships. She doesn't worry what anybody else looks and thinks. She gives her heart before the Lord. She reveals her priorities to God. And when she's criticized, she says, that's not who I am. I am in anguish and I am in grief, but I'm not being drunk or disobedient. And Eli answered her, he said, okay, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, listen to this, then she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. She prayed past the criticism until God made a clear path. Be easy to have dropped off on the criticism. Come on now, she's praying. Someone's like, what are you doing here? You're drunk. Oh, sorry, and just kind of whimpered and went away. It'd been easy to walk away in that and to try to just uh, avoid the conflict, but she prayed past the criticism. She didn't let the haters or the critical people affect her prayer. She just said, I've been going through something. I need the Lord's help, and that's what this is about. And then God made a path. Her response in that to just hearing that God heard her prayer was her praise. The next heroic component of her life was her praise. It says, early the next morning they arose and they worshiped before the Lord. She's not pregnant. He just said, may God grant your request. She just knew that God was listening and the fact that God was listening was enough for her to remember, I came here to praise God and I don't wanna miss that. It says, early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home. They haven't left their home. They've gone back to their home yet. It says, and Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. I love this picture of praise before the miracle. A praise happens because God's heard you. Not because he did what you wanted him to do, how he, you wanted to see it happen. The praise happened because I understood that I wasn't alone and that the God of the universe knew me, heard me, and cared for me. 
Because she was able to pray her priorities, God, if this is you, I will give him back to you. I will, he'll dedicate him to you. His life will be on mission. I will stay on mission with him to hand him off to you. I, all of those things are true. If that's what you're doing, I just need to know that you hear me. And then she's able to worship. And then it's like she pulls out of, the, out of the funk and the emotion and the depression that we could see sinking in because of the other voices coming. She counters all that with praise and it relights her up and she's able to go back home and be a person of praise and celebration and she's back with her husband and things are back in a healthy lane and suddenly, come on now, then the miracle happens. Can you praise before the miracle happens? You okay praising before the miracle happens? It's not natural sometimes. Forces us to recalibrate and say, if God's really in this, I'm gonna praise you whether, whether the miracle happens the way I think it should happen, whether it happens, because I'm okay with your process. Joy, even in the tough times, finally her process. What does she do because of what God has done? First Samuel 1 Samuel 1.21 says, when her husband Elkanah went up to his family to offer the annual sacrifice of the Lord and to fulfill uh, her, his vow, Hannah didn't go. So now she's pregnant and it's time to go back to worship, but she doesn't go this time. And she said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. She says, I'm going to invest right now in this season in this moment, in this miracle. I love this picture of Hannah. She goes before the Lord, she prays, she receives the blessing. She commits that blessing to the Lord. And then she recognizes there's a season of my life now where my priorities shift. I'm now responsible for this. I wasn't responsible for this before, but I'm gonna give this season of my life to this responsibility, to this high honor, so that I can prepare my son who I've committed to the Lord to experience all of that. Come on now, moms. We've, we've seen those, those tough seasons of recalibrating priorities. It doesn't change the mission. It doesn't change the dream of her life. It simply recalibrates her priorities for this season. And she embraces that. She goes, until this child is weaned, this is now the thing I'm doing. Now, weaned is a weird language here because when we think weaned, we think to bottle, right? And then to food. But the picture of weaned here is actually more than that. It actually means kind of raised and prepared and given the truth about God. And, and, uh, and it could mean all the way up to between age six and age 12, so she makes a commitment. She knows for the early years of her child's life, her primary new role in this is to make sure that this child gets an experience of both love and compassion and exposure to the heart and the mission of God. She says, that's my mission in this season now. And it changes and it's beautiful. And she's excited about it. And she says, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. And then he's gonna go there. And we see pictures of this throughout the scriptures. Think about when Paul's talking to Timothy and he's like, I know the faith that's in you because it was in your grandma and it was in your mom and you were weaned on that faith. You were, you were gifted and given and, and imparted that faith because of godly women who were around you and demonstrated the heart of God in your life. You were set up in a foundation of that because of amazing godly women. So she was dedicated in this season to do that. This was her process. It's an interesting thing to, to look around and say, what is the most important thing right now? And she was able to answer that question. 
She didn't go with her husband back to, the, to go worship that year because it wasn't the most important thing right now. doesn't mean it wasn't the most important thing of her life. It just wasn't the most important thing right now. And come on now, godly women often have to be the ones who say, what's the most important thing right now? And help recalibrate those priorities. And she did that in her process. Verse 23, it says, do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her. Young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And when she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as sure as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He'll be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. The fruit of her promise from God and the plan, she realized this life is on loan to me. I'm going to invest, pour into them, and then release them into their destiny that God has for them. She gets it. It's part of her process. Her process was to trust that God's plan was the best plan. She helps us realize that wherever we are, whatever God's entrusted us with, we're just stewards of that. It's the same conversation we have when we take offering or talk about tithing or just talk about our time and our resources, that all of the things that we have are part of the blessing and provision of God. And so we want to be incredible stewards of those things. It's so easy Come on now, I see this time and time again. God does something amazing, miraculous in our lives, and then we feel like that's now ours, and we want to own it, dominate, and control it. And here's Hannah demonstrating that the miracle and the provision and the process of God doesn't change the plan and the purposes of God. I wonder what your plan is with the blessing that God's provided in your life. Are you trusting God in the midst of that? I I love this story because we don't really know, we don't pay attention to where it happens in time. Kind of in our Bibles, it's in a weird spot, the first Samuel. It really should happen right after Judges because what's happening in this time, Samuel's going to become an incredibly important person in history. He's going to be the prophet that goes and anoints the first king of Israel. He's going to be the one that goes and finds Saul. And then when the wheels come off on Saul, he's going to be the prophet that goes to the house of Jesse and says, hey, God's looking to raise up someone who's got the the right heart. Man's looking on the outside, but God's looking at the heart. He's going to be the one that identifies David and says, that's the person, the guy that's after God's own heart, who's going to be the king. Samuel plays an incredible role in history. The the time, you got to remember, this is at the end of Judges, the most wicked time in the history of the people of Israel. They have no king. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're not keeping their word. They're not honoring God. They're not trusting God. And in the middle of this, like, crazy season, God raises up a woman named Hannah. Through her process, through her pain, through her prayer, through her praise, through her heart, he calls out of her womb Samuel, who is going to initiate his plan and go identify David, who's going to be the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Come on now. In the midst of this wicked season, this wicked time, in the midst of someone's incredible pain, God has a plan. And that's Hannah. 
And I think sometimes we forget how the choices and the decisions and the availability that we, we give our heart and life to God, how they're just like, they're like connected tissue to the purposes and plans of God in life. And I think it'd be so easy to forget. It'd be so easy to think of Hannah as just a, she just gets a, a, a chapter here and then she, you know, you should read chapter two because it's kind of her song, her worship, uh, her response. It's beautiful, but I didn't have time to walk through all that this morning. But, uh, and then she's out of the history. Like you don't see her again. She doesn't show up and have another moment in the story, but her piece connects, come on now, to the next piece, which is Samuel, which connects to David which connects, come on now, to Solomon, which connects and connects and connects and connects to Jesus, which connects to the church, which connects to you. Her peace is critical. Ladies, your peace is critical. And the way you connect and the way you move through, maybe you're in a season of pain. Things have been hard. That video might have been hard to watch as it just expressed love for different seasons of life. And some of those were painful seasons, transitional seasons, hard seasons. Maybe you're in a season of pain. And Hannah would just speak to you from, from the scriptures. God would speak to you from her story. In the midst of that pain, he is near and working. Maybe you've been praying. Hannah went year after year after year praying, God. Don't you see my situation? But she was able to pray his plan. Say, God, if I'm before you praying the right thing, then I'll follow you the whole way. I'll trust your plan in that. She was able, come on now, to praise, even though she hadn't seen her miracle yet. Why? Because she knew God saw her. Maybe you just need to know God sees you this morning. He sees you. He sees how you connect to the next piece and the next piece and the next piece. Maybe today you just need to know you're part of the process. He's got something for you. Trust, <laughs> trust the process. It's true and it's real. So I have, this is a silly, simple takeaway. I have a gift for the moms afterwards, but this is for all the ladies. And so I'm just gonna pass these out. What they are, just take one, pass them around. I only have these two baskets. So you're going to have to kind of pass around. All it is, moms and ladies, all the ladies, it's just a little keychain with a Lego on it. All right? This is a cute little thing. I just wanted to give you a simple, simple reminder that you're a connective tissue into the story of what God's doing on earth right now. And I don't want you to ever underestimate, undersell, forget. And so just, uh, just take them now, pass it all the way across the aisles. And just, I only have the two baskets because that's what I could find that was reasonable to pass around. Otherwise, it was like it's a ginormous basket. It would have been silly. So ladies, you guys can all take one of those. And then as that's going around, would everyone just stand with me for a moment? I want to pray over these wonder women who are in the room. And I just, if you're anywhere close to a, a, a lady in the room, which I think you are, just extend a hand towards them. You don't have to touch them. Just put, put a hand towards them. So every woman's got just a hand moving towards them right now. And then these baskets are floating around, and I know that's messy, and I should have given you more time. I'm sorry. But I'm going to pray. I'm to make sure all the ladies grab one of those Lego things. Don't miss that. <sighs> Jesus, I really do want to say thank you for the incredible women 
that you've put both in my life and the body of Christ, just on this planet in general. And I do have wonder, admiration, amazement, awe, marvel at everything they do, how they hold the whole world together. I think about in my own home, it just doesn't work without the provision and blessing that you've given us of a wonder woman. I think about in the church, it just doesn't work without the incredible provision and blessing. I think about just how much compassion and leadership and strength and kindness and wisdom and insight you've given to these incredible women. And I'm grateful and humbled and blessed to know them and be a part. I think about those going through pain. And I think about the incredible truth of your presence in that pain, that you hear them and you're near. I think about the prayers if we walked through the room, I bet you we'd get prayer request after prayer request after prayer request from these incredible women who have a heart to see your hand move in their lives and in the lives of their ones they love. And I'm grateful for that. I think about the praise that goes up even before the miracles show up of women who you've called and anointed and assigned by name to lead and to, yeah, just give and pour into the lives of others. I'm so grateful for it. I'm thankful for your process that even sometimes when it's hard and we're not sure what's going on, we know our faith and hope is in the God of the universe and you're playing the long game. Hannah had no idea the role that she played would be so significant in your redemptive plan for the entire world. She had no idea. We don't know how significant our role is <laughs> My grandmother didn't know winging that shoe across the, uh, the room was going to knock me straight. Prepare me. We just love you. We thank you. Thank you for the kindness you've shown towards us and your power and provision and blessing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.